Hi, Alana. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Sydney. Hi, Rachel and Alana. Hi, Andres. Hi, everyone. And hello, everyone else. Welcome to the Friendly Rex podcast. Okay, so this week we're back with our two um, special guests, our horror experts, and we're going to be discussing um, two of their recs plus a special bonus movie that includes Freaky, Slumber Party Massacre 2, and Jennifer's Body. All, all of the fucking gore and all <clears throat> stuff. All of yeah, it. Lots of blood. It's like lots of last blood. time was like exorcism stuff that I don't like. This is the gore that I don't like. So thank you guys for really just staring me out. You're welcome. You chose to you a well-rounded fan. I know I did, but like the options, you know. Were... <laughs> we did our best. <laughs> I know, you know, that's why I'm saying we just need to do a Paddington episode to make up. <laughs> it would be a good palate Paddington cleanser. palate cleanser. Yes. I am proud of you, though, Alana, for uh, watching all of these and being being a team player, being a trooper. I know, I know. I, know. I, I made it through. I survived barely, but I did. I'm the real <laughs> final girl, so... <laughs> Sure, sure, we'll go with that. Um, okay, well, our first movie that we're going to talk about is Freaky, and that was recommended by Andres. Do you want to go ahead and introduce the movie? So it's directed by the same guy who brought us Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to you. I believe those are the correct ones, or what they're called. And basically, it is Freaky Friday body swapping film meeting a serial killer and in the process it's great why did you uh have it on your list of potential recommendations for us because it's fun like i remember um here in toronto we didn't have our theaters had closed down for a bit and i knew that i wasn't going to be able to see it in theaters but there was like a neighboring town where we they hadn't shut down yet so i went over there just to go watch it opening weekend and at this point theaters were only closed for about a month or so but just watching this on the big screen was magnificent it was glorious i was terrified i was in love with all the blood and gore that introduction scene was enough to sell me on it but it's also in my notes saying alana's gonna hate me just on that portion alone but it is it is just brutal and fun. Yeah. Um, Lana, how did you uh, feel about that wine bottle? Yes. That's what I texted you, Lana, when I was like, have you watched this movie yet? <laughs> was right after the wine bottle death. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. And it just keeps I going. I couldn't even watch that. Like, I, I was like, like oh, the, no. I, yeah, I did a lot of the, like, uh, so I watched it on my laptop and, like, on HBO. It has, like, the 10 second fast forward. I did a lot of that. I was like, uh-uh, nope, not today. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, you know, I only saw like stuff because I was like, as soon as it started, I was like, Mm-mm, and stuff. Sydney, have you seen it or had you seen it before uh, watching it for this? No, I didn't. I hadn't seen it. And I, the only thing I knew was like the super basic premise that it was 
Freaky Friday, but a horror movie, and she swaps bodies with the killer. And so I like went into it pretty blind, and it I probably wouldn't have watched it if it wasn't for this podcast. I don't know why, um, but it was something I just kept flipping past, and so... Yeah, I really enjoyed it, but so I'm glad we watched it, but um, it was a lot different than I expected, I think. I agree. I wasn't expecting it to be as, like, comedic mm. or gory. <laughs> oh, I think I expected it to be less comedic. Yeah. And so that was, I was, like, in the opposite realm where I was like, oh, this is way funnier than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I guess, like, having Vince Vaughn as one of the main characters kind of lends itself to that right but yeah um, i loved him in it and stuff like this one is always an actor that like surprises me when i enjoy stuff with him in it i don't know but uh i i thoroughly enjoyed uh his portrayal of uh millie in it (laughs) yeah i agree okay let's get into lay plot Four teenagers are discussing urban legends of a serial killer known as Blissfield Butcher, as the Blissfield Butcher. The butcher breaks into the mansion they are in and promptly murders the groups of teenagers before leaving with an ancient dagger known as Ladola. The next day, bullied high school student Millie Kessler attends the Blissfield Valley High School homecoming football game, where she performs as the uh, school mascot. As Millie waits for a ride home near the now-empty school, the butcher attacks her. He stabs Millie in the shoulder with Ladola, causing an identical wound to instantly appear on his shoulder. Millie's older sister, Char, a police officer, arrives and scares off the butcher. The police collect Ladola as evidence and and then initiate a manhunt for the butcher. That kind of, like, went through the introduction really fucking fast. Um, Any notes (laughs) before we get... On the next morning when she wakes up. Any, any notes early on? I One thing I really enjoyed about this movie was how many callbacks there were to so many other films. Um, doesn't, like, the one girl at the beginning get, like, stuck up on some antlers from a deer? Am I remembering this correctly? I watched this two weeks ago, so I may be completely I don't wrong. know if it was a deer, but she was definitely on the wall. She was, like, Yeah, right. he, like, stabbed her. And yeah. Yeah. Like- so she's like hanging from the wall and immediately I thought of this old movie called Silent Night, Deadly Night, I believe, and this girl like gets stuck on some antlers and there's just a couple other moments um, where I felt like they were calling back to some older films, which was really cool. Um, so it kind of is like building on the lore that's already there while making it its own. I think it's all yeah. very super referential. Yeah. I... I uh... We'll never look at a bottle of wine the same. Like, like, fast forward just a smidgen to uh, the champagne bottle scene in Slumber Party Massacre 2. I watched that movie after Freaky, and the whole time I was like, keep, just keep your mouths closed. Just don't, don't fucking do anything. It's like, uh, I, I could, that I was not expecting. I, I knew the kid was about to die in that scene. That is not how I expected him to die, and now I cannot look at, uh, Large glass bottles, the same. When I saw that it, was such a good death scene, was. though. Oh, I have one more note uh, from the intro. I think, I guess, because I wrote this down, someone says that she's a loser that no one wants. That Millie is a loser that no one wants, and she's like, I know that she's trying to like be the nerdy girl, and I know that they're trying to play into like, like cliche high school tropes, but like, in no way will that girl look ugly or like a loser. So I'm just like. 
what the fuck? In, like the crumpy clothes, like no, no. Yeah, like you can't tell me that she's not at least cute. Like no, this, I do this, have that. This note dialogue too. makes no sense. <laughs> I One don't think I like. Did a... No, go ahead. Sorry. I say I. That is so true. I did appreciate though. I felt like these teenagers actually looked like teenagers, so that was nice. I feel like a lot of these movies, teenagers don't look like teenagers. They definitely look like they're 30 year olds. Well, can't you, Grease? That's the worst one of them all. I think it's one of those things where it's like, I don't want them to look too much like teenagers because then I feel fucking creepy watching these things. You know what I mean? Like, I can tell that they're about my age, right? But they look young enough to be playing high schoolers. If they look like they're like, younger than my little sister my sister-in-law no yeah i feel awkward as hell like i can't i can't do it but i agree do y'all have any other notes before i continue the fucking shock teacher oh my god like i just the whole time i was thinking this guy would have been fired like six years ago he's crazy Everything he says is, like, abhorrent. I'm like, I don't understand how this man is employed. And then he's just, like, an ass the whole time. I felt, like, so much anger, obviously, at the shop teacher. And also, who takes fucking shop? <laughs> I'm mad about that, too. <laughs> you honestly, can't trust teenagers with that. Shop. I took shop. I know. I mean, I did because I have to, but... <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have a shop class. We didn't have I a shop class. I was forced yeah. to take shop. I wasn't forced to do I, I made a box sh- and I made a shelf. I made a boat that and was a, stool. a fucking cl- Wait, no. Wait, okay, no. If that was a class offered at our high school, I totally would have taken it. Well, okay, I wouldn't have because I wouldn't have had the room. But totally would have taken it if I was able to. I don't think we had shop, Alana. Did well, we? if you no, uh, we went to Indian Lake High School, you would have had to take shop. Damn. They're prepping you for the real world, you know? <laughs> yep. We also had um, Future Farmers of America, an ag class. So real, real fun stuff to be doing. The following morning, the butcher and Millie discover that they have switched bodies and they both make their way to Blissfield Valley High School. At school, the butcher, now posing as Millie, kills Millie's chief tormentor, Ryler by locking her in a cryotherapy tank in the girls' locker room. He realizes his innocent appearance uh, grants him immunity from suspicion and fatally slices woodshop teacher Mr. Bernardi, another one of Millie's tormentors, in half with a table saw. Millie, now in the butcher's body, finds her best friends Nyla and Josh and proves her identity to them by performing the school's mascot's dance routine and answering a series of personal questions. Nyla and Josh research Ladola and discover that Millie must stab the butcher with the dagger by midnight or else the body switch will be permanent. Any notes? Brailler got what she deserved. Hell yeah, did. she did. Yeah. Hell yeah. Right. Yeah, they both did. When like, he started fucking kicking the shit out of her, uh, I mean, like, obviously she's trying to kill him, so, like, you can't be, like, too mad at him, but, yeah, like... He's still, like, a student. You're a grown <laughs> man, but... Yeah. yeah. It was a lot. It was great. I was so happy when <laughs> he died. I was like, yes! Obviously, as soon as they turned the table saw on, you knew that's how he was gonna die, but the whole time I was like, Ugh. It was, I don't, don't want to see it. 
when I saw it in theaters, there was like ten of us or so, and I was definitely the loudest person laughing throughout (laughs) the entire film. It was amazing. Nope. Yep. But again, legitimately, like I cannot look at that shit. I know it's fake. It's obviously fake. It It probably looks pretty fake. But like, shut up. Um, But I don't know, dude. I cannot watch that shit. It like makes me sick to my stomach sometimes. I have no problem. Yeah, that was a no for me. That was a no for me. Were you like fast forwarding through that whole scene, Alana? Not the whole scene, but uh, once I knew when it was going to happen, hit that ten second repeatedly. <laughs> I'm like waiting for you to have done that and then landed on the scene where he's like in the middle of being cut. You know what I mean? Like you're still seeing him cut in half, and you're like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> like, no, I just I you just were lucky. You're fucking lucky, Alana. I came prepared. I knew what I was going into, and I was ready. <laughs> also, I love her friends so much. Oh, me too. They're so funny. Oh, this wasn't a note that I had, but also, oh, actually, it wasn't what I had. She's sick. Um, why Vince Vaughn's care the butcher in Millie's body? How the fuck does he know how to make her look hot better than she knows how to make her look hot? Okay, I was going to bring this up. <laughs> that was fucking ridiculous. Yeah. It doesn't make like, sense. Especially because he's disgusting. Like, that, that's part, he smells bad, he sleeps in the nasty thing. And he like, can perfectly put on red lipstick. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like, fully expected her, I mean, I've seen the poster, so I knew she was, like, got all hot, but I was like, it would make more sense for her to look like a total slob. But it's funnier that she's really hot because now everyone's like, oh my god, Millie's so hot. And it's like, she's been hot the whole time. <laughs> Red lipstick changes nothing. <laughs> Slick back ponytail, whatever. It's like it's like the this movie's version of She's All That where she, like, she takes off the glasses and it's like, doesn't make that big of a difference. <laughs> Also, this wasn't the note that I wrote, but like, how does everyone else, and maybe I missed this, so correct me if I'm wrong, everyone else, as soon as they see Vince Vaughn, they're like, oh my god, it's the butcher. But she didn't respond that way when she saw herself in the mirror. She just was like, oh my god, I'm a man. Is she like the only person in their town that doesn't know what the butcher looks like? Because she like, sees herself in the mirror when she wakes up, and she's freaking out more so the fact that she's a man, not the butcher. And then she goes willy-nilly out into town and people are freaking the fuck out because they know what the butcher looks like and they're screaming in fear. Same with her friends when they see him at the school. But she doesn't know who she looks like. I'm trying to remember because I feel like (laughs) his mask was off when he stabbed her. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he takes the mask off. I think she was just freaking out that she's a man, not necessarily that she's the butcher, because if you're not in your own body, I think that's more worrisome. Wouldn't you see yourself in the mirror, and yeah, okay, you get over the the initial freaking out that you're a man, and then you would still eventually realize you're the butcher. Like, it's not necessarily that you know you're in the other dude's body. It's the fact you know you're in the butcher's body, and then you're just going to walk around town. And then you're surprised when everyone's, like, screaming bloody murder when they see you. Eh, I don't know. I feel like she's still, like, freaking out about not being in her body. 
which I feel like is reasonable if you wake up in a different body. Fair. <laughs> then Spawn talking like a teenage girl never ceased to be funny. It was funny the whole time. It was. It was great. Like the scene where he does do the like uh, the mascot dance. Oh, killed it. <laughs> killed it. <laughs> and like he even like figured out how to like run like a teenage girl. Like it was all funny. Like there's so much physical comedy too. It was so good. Okay, next part. Later that afternoon, with the school's official homecoming canceled, the butcher suggests a new dance be held at an old mill that is actually his hiding place. The butcher subsequently lures Millie's crush, Booker, into a monster mini golf course to kill him, but Millie, Nyla, and Josh arrive just in time to save him. Millie knocks both the butcher and Booker unconscious, and she and her friends bring the two to Josh's house. After, trying, after tying the butcher to a chair, Millie and Nyla try to explain the situation to Booker, who remains unconvinced until Millie recites a love poem she an- anonymously wrote to him weeks earlier. Josh watches over the butcher while Millie, Nyla, and Booker drive to the police station to obtain Madola. Nyla tricks Shar, the lost officer in the station, into leaving so sh- into leaving so she can steal Dagger. Waiting outside in the car, Booker reveals that he always liked Millie, and Millie divulges how she enjoys the newfound strength and confidence she feels when in the butcher's body, and they kiss. <laughs> that scene was so fucking awkward. Because <laughs> Booker looks like he's a fucking teenager. Like, the kid playing Booker looks like he's 17 years old, and you have Vince Vaughn, like a 45-year-old man, making out with him. You're just like... What the fuck is happening right now? No, I love uh, the part, you know, backtracking to the beginning of that, where they're um, at uh, the house and, you know, Millie's tied up and Vince Vaughn's sitting next to Booker and, like, waking him up. And he's like, Booker, look at me. Like that and stuff. He's like, keep your eyes on me, Booker. And it was just like, and he was doing this, like, really soft voice. He's like, Booker. Keep your eyes on me. Can we just have a moment? (laughs) I was losing it during that. Um, One thing I was going to say was the scene where Millie's in the change room talking to her mom was really lovely. Um, Mm -hmm. Has that happened yet? That has happened. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was just like this moment where everything's going, but it just sort of stops for a second. And it's really sweet that I wasn't expecting. Um, But then starting from the scenes at Josh's house is when the film starts to get like really queer um, when we sort of start talking about pronouns and such. And I I know you said that the scene in which Booker and Millie make out is awkward and funny, but I thought it's kind of really sweet. And... I think it's just the age difference. It's, it's weird. It's definitely weird, but it works. <laughs> I don't know how they end up like selling it, but it really does end up working. And I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think there's some moments too where like Millie in the butcher's body is just like accepting that she's in a man's body and it like doesn't matter to her because she's still Millie. And um, just these discussions of like, you know, gender and sexuality, I thought were really nuanced for a horror comedy. And I did not expect that going into this at all. 
Because it could have easily been like a shtick, like, ha, 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 uh, two men are kissing and she's in a man's body and it's so funny or like, you know, in like a homophobic way, but it wasn't. And so I thought that was really refreshing um, because I think that happens in some other films. And, you know, when you think back to Freaky Friday, it's like the mom and her daughter. So like this wouldn't even have been an issue in that. Well, it is written uh like the director co-wrote it, but they're both uh, queer men, so that is part of why. Like you can you can tell the care that they put into these things, and to, it's a very like mainstream forward queer horror film that you don't see as often. And I think it's interesting too because it wasn't necessarily marketed or discussed as a queer horror film. Like I didn't know until I watched it because I hadn't seen that. Um, And I think that is, I mean, that has its benefits and its drawbacks. Like it's nice to go into this because I think people who maybe are uncomfortable with those kinds of topics would go into watching this and think like, oh, I, you know, I really like this or whatever and be able to like be confronted with that. But also it's like, I bet a lot of gay people would like this if they knew what it was about. Oh, what do we think about Char? She gets in the way. (laughs) She, I think it's like, she's trying to play the parent because her, their mom is very like not there, but it's one of those things where it's just like, you're overdoing it. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to be that level of uh, older sibling turned parent. You know what I mean? Uh, so I think that's her main flaw for me. But I, I think she has good intentions. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I found the biggest thing that I took issue with with her is just her inability to listen to anyone and just take in what people are saying and not jump to conclusions and try to fix everything right away because that's what she did. I just took a gun out at any chance she could. Right, that's true. There was a lot with that. Like her family, I don't know. It's like it was kind of hard to like her family, (laughs) which made it like her mom was really difficult to like. And I think that scene that you mentioned, Andres, where she's talking to Millie and Vincent's body is talking to her mom, humanizes her mom in some way. But I still don't like her mom. And so it's, like, hard, I think, to watch this, and we'll get to this later at the end. I thought that was a really great moment, but I don't think the film did enough to make me like either of them in a way where I'm, like, okay with their redemption by the end. Or care. That's fair. The butcher eventually escapes Josh's house, and Char catches Nyla stealing Ladola. Still in the car, Millie sees the butcher enter the police station and runs in after him, but Char tries to detain her, unaware of the situation. Millie overpowers Char and locks her in a jail cell while the butcher escapes in a police car. At the Blissfield Valley High homecoming dance out at the butcher's mill, the butcher kills three jocks who attempt to rape him, thinking he is Millie, as well as a fourth who attempted to assault Josh. As midnight approaches, Millie finds the butcher and both Nyla and Josh hold him down while Booker staves off the police. Millie stabs the butcher with Ladola and they switch back to their own bodies just in time before the police shoot down the butcher. Later, Millie and Booker reunite and they kiss again. After faking his death in an ambulance, the butcher follows Millie home, follows Millie home and attacks her, mocking her physical weakness and anxiety. 
Millie, Char, and their mother struggle to overpower the butcher, but Millie finally kills him by impaling him with a broken table leg. One of the things I found very interesting was all the people who the butcher kills in the movie seem like they deserve to die. And as in Millie's body. The teacher, Ryler, those boys. I was like fine with all of them dying. And I thought that was really interesting too, because it seems like at the beginning, he's just like killing people to kill him, but he's kind of out for a vengeance while he's in Millie's body. I mean, he did try to kill Booker at one point too, and he didn't really deserve to die, but, and well, he didn't, but, you know. And then there was like when, you know, backtracking when uh um he realizes he's in millie's body and he's just like holding the knife like preparing to kill like the sister and mom and stuff and it's like okay taking it a little too far too early (laughs) like yeah it's definitely not a matter of like like millie's subconscious somehow like telling him no but it, it is as the viewer very uh um satisfying to see the people who end up dying die. <laughs> mm-hmm. The chainsaw part was great. Oh my god, again another one I was like, nope, not looking. Yeah, they just they just looking. kept going. I appreciated yeah. and hated like the little pun of it all of using the piece of wood and calling herself a piece, but you know I thought you would laugh. I know. I, I cringed a little at that internally. I was like no, no. <laughs> it's fantastic. No, it's How not. No, I agree. I agree. I think I literally wrote "What the fuck, LMFAO." That was my last note. Was how that ended. <laughs> um, but no, I was a little unsure that uh that it was at, like when they uh stabbed with Lodola. I was a little unsure if it had actually switched back because, I mean, they were like kind of like she's like yeah it's me and stuff i was like what if this is the butcher just faking it (laughs) and stuff but i mean it worked out but i was worried for a second (laughs) yeah same same i knew like something else had to happen i was like this is too happy of an ending like given everything going on too happy something else has to happen but i don't know i don't know if the ending scene in the house was necessary slash how i was expecting it to end what i'm trying to say is basically like while the ending pre like in the ambulance when uh millie and booker kiss again while that ending wasn't satisfying enough for it to be called an ending i don't know if following it up with the scene in the house was more satisfactory i don't know i think if anything the scene in the house took millie's character full circle in a weird way, it almost seemed like the butcher was, like, goading her on, like, kill me, kill me. And then she did it, and, like, he was kind of proud. <laughs> but, like, she, you know, she had her character arc, her coming of age. And I think that you needed that to happen. Like, she had to kill him for her to, like, really come full circle for this experience. But I do think it could have been executed differently. I'm just not sure how. But I think that also is, like... I didn't really like her family that much and they didn't film like it'd be more I think if it was like her friends that were with her or something you know characters that we really got to know and like have investment in their relationship a bit more but I did appreciate that you know she was able to kill him and like do that for herself. 
it feels like a mix of both because it does feel like a last minute add-on that does sort of fi- like finish and round up her character but at the same time it's like it feels so far removed from what would have been that maybe it was like also to make sure that they weren't potentially left up in the air for a sequel because now happy death day to you is sort of left in the air and we're not sure if we're getting the third one so maybe they're just like let me just put it in so we know for sure that i can stop it as opposed to um people waiting for more yeah that's fair i do think like having the having the family there like was more so for like the mom wanting the three of them to be a family again and do stuff together. Like what's more uh, familial bonding than killing a crazy murderer together, you know? <laughs> I mean, it really just brings you together, unifies you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what we all need, really. Oh, okay, okay. Alana, is this yes. playlist approved for uh, movies? It is. I did enjoy it. I did not like the gore, but that's to be expected. But it was very funny, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. What about same. you, Rachel? Oh, yeah, same. Same. 100%. I, I mean, like, I wasn't a fan of the gore, but I, I, I just, now I just know when not to look at the screen, and then I move on. Um, so, like, if something has gore in it, I'm not going to, like, take it off any points. But... The uh, characters, for the most part, were fantastic, and I really enjoyed the uh, dialogue. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Play what about group. you, Sid? I really liked it, um, and I think it is maybe a good like intro horror film for a lot of people because it is so funny and like Vince Vaughn's. I think a really accessible actor. A lot of people know him. Um, and I definitely watch it again. I think. What about you, Andres? Did, uh, did you like? The movie? I think I, I liked it. Yeah, it. I've seen it a few times. Um, <laughs> the first time I had seen it, and something I almost when I rewatched it, I was gonna message the group, and then I was like, I should hold on to this. Um, but every time I watch it, it does sort of remind me between a lot of similarities to Scream, but it felt like the first time I watched it all over again. Um, and it feels like that for a newer generation of horror fans, um, straight down to having a sibling being a cop, you know, but there's, it, it's way more clear than the original Scream. Um, it's funnier and more, there's way more gore. There's, it, it feels way more in time like relatable to what we're going through now um well i still think it's modern yeah it's way more modern um well that never will take away my love for scream but it just feels like that's what it felt like the first time i had seen it and it was just something i wanted to bring to other people who also like the movie as well our next movie was recommended by Lay Sydney, Slumber Party Massacre 2. Sydney, go ahead and introduce it and tell us why you recommended it. Slumber Party Massacre 2 is the follow-up to Slumber Party Massacre 1, obviously. 
But the second installment has everything you want in a slasher. We got musical numbers, mental asylums, um, peeping toms, really bad fake blood, somebody dressed like a knockoff Danny Zuko. Like, what more could you want out of a movie? And it's only like 70 minutes long, so it takes no time to watch it. Um I think this might be one of the greatest films ever made. I have seen it, I think, four times now. And I just watched it for the first time two years ago. So, you know, really special place in my heart. Um, And there's, I love every facet of this. And I think that I often recommend this one to people more than the first one. I love the first one a lot. But I think this is just like a crazy wild ride uh, that everyone should experience at one point in their life. I love how much you love this. Like, you can just hear it, but also see it on your face as well. (laughs) Uh, Do we have any precursor notes before we get into the plot? I will say, just like the opening, like, credits and stuff is the most 80s thing I've ever seen. Like, the font, the color, like, the, because it's like goes up on like her bed and stuff like her comforter sheet situation i'm like this is so dude this is the most 80s my first fucking note is living for this fashion right now (laughs) fucking loved it so much oh Uh, i did really like um her outfit when she was going to school it was like the like layers sweaters oh i loved it i did too um sorry it's just, okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. My mouth won't stop smiling. Ugh. Anyway. Um, it's hilarious that you say someone dressed like Danny Zuko, though, because I literally was like, he looks like a discount John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Yes. And I love it. I, like, I feel like they were definitely trying to like capitalize on that. Um, and they do a pretty good job. I feel. I mean, I, I don't disagree necessarily, honestly. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't just like he's dressed up like Danny Zuko. Like, he could have been a stand-in. I could believe that. <clears throat> the plot goes. Courtney Bates, who survived the events of the first film, is now a senior in high school. She invites her crush, Matt, to stay at a condominium for her birthday weekend with her and her friends, Amy, Sheila, and Sally. Upon arriving, two of the girls' boyfriends, Jeff and TJ, show up at that at the house. That night, Courtney has a dream of the killer from the first film, who is now reincarnated as a greaser and armed with a drill bit guitar, and awakens on the kitchen floor. That day, her visions grow violent, but she is comforted when Matt arrives. Sally disappears, and the group is unable to find her. But she later returns to the house, having let go to the store, left to go to the store. Courtney and Matt are left alone. Matt surprises Courtney with a birthday cake, and the two begin to have sex. The killer impales Matt through the chest and chases Courtney downstairs, where he confronts the group who have just returned. The killer impales Sally with the drill. Sheila and TJ flee, while Courtney, Amy, and Jeff leave in Jeff's car. Jeff is impaled by the killer, and and Courtney and Amy flee back to the house. Sheila and TJ run to a nearby house for help, but the killer catches up with them, and TJ is killed. Sheila manages to return to the condominium before the killer murders her as well. Courtney and Amy escape. The killer pursues them through a construction site where Amy falls to her death. 
She uses a torch of fire <laughs> to light the killer on fire, finally killing him. Sometime later, Courtney wakes up next to Matt, but he morphs into the killer. She then awakens into a psychiatric ward and screams frantically as a drill bursts through the door and the credits roll. What a two and a half paragraphs of words. Let's get into it. I do love that it completely ignored the entire champagne slumber party part of the thing <laughs> scene. It ignored so much of what it happened. Did. It did. Fuck you, Wikipedia. You're useless. <laughs> okay. Sydney, Alana, Andres, anyone. Y'all have notes. Um, Just, you know, something I really loved was the conversation that Courtney has with her mom about going to see her sister in the mental hospital because at one point Courtney says Sunday's my birthday and I don't want to go to a mental hospital may have been greatest line ever <laughs> of, of course she doesn't want to go to a mental hospital on her birthday it but like there's so much that happens just in the beginning to unpack there's also um what the fuck is Matt's bedroom Whatever was going. Don't get me started with the fucking Care Bear lamp that's in Courtney's bedroom. Both of them have fucked up lamps. I think he has like a spaceship lava lamp or something like that. But I was just like, what is going on? Matt, as a character, what is going on? Like, (laughs) just everything about him. I was like, no, no, Matt. At first, I was like, the man has crazy eyes. He's fucking insane. And then as it went on, I was like, he's somehow the best male. Okay, no, 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 never mind. Uh, uh, what's his name? Jeff is the best dude in, in, the, uh, in the movie. But eventually, Matt came around right before he died. But, you know. Yeah, rough. Rough, though. Rest in pieces. Uh, I will say, I knew nothing about this movie going in so I was a little confused at the beginning because I didn't read anything about the first one so it was like her having these nightmares and stuff and talking about her sister like who you know I could tell was you know uh in the first one but I didn't realize she was in the first one as well Mm -hmm. and so that was kind of confusing for a bit. On like, yeah, I probably should have prepped to, you on to that. To be fair, um, I watched the first one uh, in prep, and I still was confused. So it's not same. it's not just you. It's oh, I had notes going, um, and I was you, like, did it spoil the movie, or am I missing a film in between these? Like, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. Yeah, the first time I watched it, I was thoroughly confused. I had no clue what was going on. Um, because I feel like it is somehow a sequel and also its own movie entirely. But I like Andre says, it also seems like something happened in between those two movies that we don't know about. Um, because at the end of the other one, like her sister, like it just kind of ends, you know, they made it through the night or whatever. And now you wake up and it seems like a whole different thing that's happening. Um, so I think it just is a state of confusion. Also, I need to clarify. Does she have a scrapbook in her, like, under her mattress of the attacks? Is that what? I think so. I don't yeah, know what I else is in that scrapbook, but. <laughs> I must have completely missed that. I'm like, what scrapbook? She, like, goes in between her mattress, pulls it out, and, like, sees, like, cut out from the newspaper of the attack that's the first film. 
And then there's a bunch of other stuff in there. And then she's just like, ah, yes, the attack. And then puts it away. And I'm like, what? Yeah, at first I thought she was pulling out like a yearbook to look at her sister's photo for some reason. Then I realized it was a scrapbook. (laughs) Speaking of finding things under people's bed, first of all, why was, I think it was Sheila or Sally, I think the drummer. I think that's Sally, right? Sally, She finds like a porno book, not magazine, book under her brother's mattress why the fuck are you under your brother's mattress and why does he have a porno book not magazine <laughs> and why I did mean, you bring it on your trip <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> there were so many like weird sex things kind of happening in the periphery like there was also a blow-up doll that yeah, really served no to- purpose um <laughs> other than just existing and Kind of making Courtney uncomfortable. She seemed very uncomfortable about sex, which makes the killer's insistence that he loves her and kind of wants to bang her even weirder. Well, she's a virgin, right? She's like the true type final girl. Yeah. So. I don't know. I don't fucking know. But I will say, sorry, going to Courtney and her uncomfort for sex, but about to do it with Matt before he uh, sadly dies. Um... She like had a photo of right at the beginning of the of the movie. They're like, "Oh, I've had a couple of dates with him, but I don't want to talk to him." Right in the car, and then later on during like the montage or whatever, she's like looking at a photo of him and like whispering, "I love you," and kissing the photo. And I'm just like, "Bitch, he's not even your boyfriend. What the fuck? <laughs> what are you doing?" <laughs> so weird. I was like. What? What? Where did you get the photo? <laughs> that was my question. She went from yeah, literally not wanting to talk to him and being forced to by her friend to having a photo of him and like kissing it <laughs> and whispering she loves him. That's the yeah, weirdest she, part. She just, she just wants to whisper sweet nothings to him, Rachel. Just let her live. Well, good thing he dies in her bed. Well, does he? Is that the thing? She was in the insane asylum the whole time, so none of that happened. Insane. Asylum. I mean, psychiatric. Exactly. Who's, who's to say? Who I knows? have no idea what, what what's real and what is not in this. Yeah. Well, so it's Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> it's very Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Yeah, I don't do know you... what you're really supposed to think. What were you going to say, Ray? No, sorry. Had Elena, have you seen Nightmare on Elm Street before? I have not. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you earlier when we were prepping. And I was like, now I'm going to wait. Because, like, where was, like, oh, it's just, she just fell asleep next to Matt. LOL, JK, that's not Matt. That's still the demon guy. LOL, JK, she's in the psychiatric facility. I was like, is it going to, is this just, is is Freddy Krueger going to fucking come out now? <laughs> I, well, I felt that when she went understand. to the like construction house like the one that was still being built and she's running around i just kept feeling like this guy's gonna pop up behind one of the pillars at any given time and i would have been like yeah Yeah. okay sure nothing else in this movie makes sense so why would this (laughs) checks out (laughs) yeah nothing makes sense it all is just happening um there i mean i don't even know what to talk about that doesn't make sense first but um, we could possibly start with uh, which which friend disappears? It's Sally. Sally, yeah. yeah. Okay, so there's a few things that go on with Sally. 
Um, one, she's writing the worst song I've ever heard in my life. And we keep cutting to that song for no reason. And the song doesn't make any sense. She's talented. I was thinking that too. She was like getting into like the chorus. And I was like, what? What is this? (laughs) Like, this doesn't go with it. (laughs) No. But the other thing that Sally does that doesn't make any sense is Courtney freaks out understandably because she sees sally's face like melt off her skull and then now sally has disappeared no one knows where sally went they call the cops to because sally is missing and she shows up and she's like i just met a hot guy it's like three hours later i get you don't have cell phones but you told no one (laughs) see i was waiting because obviously no one had died yet i was like oh maybe the hot guy she met was was uh discount danny zuko no we never, they never said anything. Just, she met him. This random guy never came back into play. Um, we can also talk about the number of musical numbers and choreographed sequences in the film. How could you not? I personally, yeah, I loved the uh, snapping dance that they were doing in the car. That, yeah, and, yeah, no, that was, that was, uh. My vibe, honestly. Like, I I wish that that was a TikTok dance, you know? Kids are missing out. We could. It wouldn't go viral because, you know, kids don't appreciate oldies. Um, People who love this movie might appreciate it, so there is that. True. True. And it is super loved. Everyone I told um, that we were doing this is very excited about it. I'm not going to lie. I had never heard of it until Sydney brought it up. And then all of a sudden the fucking sci-fi remake came out. I'm like, I need to see that. What the fuck is happening? It's good. I, I, it's so I might good. watch it after this. Oh, you have to. You'll have to let me know oh, what you I'll, think. I'll message it you is... immediately after. Yeah. If you've seen the, I think that one is better if you've seen the first one, but the first and the second pretty much have the same plot. I mean, Andres, you might agree. Like the same, literally the same things happen, except the second one is for some reason a musical. Yeah, exactly. But sure. like, um, have you seen the, uh, the Evil Dead films? No. Okay, so Evil, the first, it's very similar where the first one is like no budget, very uh, cheaply made, like, all that sort of stuff but then where it ends is sort of like 40 minutes into the second film where it's like both a remake and a sequel at the same time so there is that some of that similar thing with this film where there are parts of it that are like i don't know if you're actually trying to reference the first film or you're just making new shit up and retconning it as you go yeah, it did seem like that in a lot. I mean, I mean, it's like, or it's for, this is for Rachel and Alana, it's, you know, bar for bar. Um, the killer has a drill in both. At both, the boys are peeping toms and then somehow become part of the party. They're obviously at a slumber party. There's no parents around. Like, it's just, like, weird. And when I watched it, it didn't seem like a sequel because I'm like, how is the same shit happening again? But, never <laughs> You know, you just all the same. You just update it with uh, some musical numbers. And a guitar with a drill that is massive. Yes. Yes. I that makes me happy that he didn't use the same weapon of uh, destruction in the first one because it was just like, who who decided to make not one but two movies with a killer drill edged 
guitar man I mean, thing. honestly, I want more movies where people are using a guitar with a drill attached to the end of it. That would be amazing. I think it would be more impressive if those murders happened with a guitar and the guitar was still intact at the end of the day. No drill. No, the drill's fine. Like it's the, drill the drill's great. great. The part like through the phone, it's it's so good. But yes, that part is great. I also love when he drills through Matt, rips Matt's arm off, and just throws it into the birthday yeah. cake, whose candles are still lit. Still lit. They had been making out. The candles are lit on the table. They needed that to see. <laughs> the first time I watched that part, I had to pause it because I started laughing so hard because I just did not expect that to happen. Yeah, I was watching it with Connell and he was like, oh, you might not want to look. It's, it's going to be kind of gross. And I'm like, that's obviously like a fake arm. Like none of this is like too much. It's not it's real? fine. <laughs> what? Shocked. Uh, yeah, no, it was very entertaining. Oh, I was just going to say on it being a uh, fake uh, arm everything, when uh, she was at the pool and she's eating the burger and it turns into like a hand and stuff. I was like, it looks like the hands like you buy at like spirit Halloween stores and stuff <laughs> to put on like top of a candy bowl. That's what it looks like. <laughs> See, I was like, that looks like a McRib. <laughs> And I love her, her friend's response to that. It's, oh, do you want the chicken? <laughs> like, hey, they were, being, they were being pretty fucking patient with her, though. They were like, oh, yeah, if you don't, here's a chicken sandwich. If you don't, if that's not good for you, I guess. Sorry. When uh, the Peeping Toms were like, I can't believe girls actually really do this. I was like, no, they don't actually don't. really do this. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, like no. what a male gaze situation going on. The first one's actually worse for that. Um, but it's in a way, like, I feel like this one makes it, you like, it's more enticing. The first one makes you so uncomfortable anytime any woman has their clothes so off. Weird. Like, you would, like, want to look away. It is, it's really weird. And this one is like, yeah. And, like, for some reason, that girl's, like, covered in feathers and then putting her bra back on. But, you know. You know it was just for, for a little time. bit of fun. Not not all night's <laughs> worth. Just a little bit. Also, TJ's a fucking asshole, and I wanted him to die so much sooner. I hated him so much. Same. Well, you kept going, but I was going to say almost verbatim, I have the exact same note. Oh, really? Alana, back to our first movie wreck. They didn't zombie land in the car. Jeff just drove off, and none of them looked in the fucking back seat, and Jeff died. Hello, number one rule. Always gotta check. Yeah. You always gotta check the back seat. But Ridiculous. I like. I wonder too. Like in this movie, would it have mattered? Because he, he seems to be like a figment of, like a figment of Courtney's dream that has now become fully realized and corporeal. Which is also, I think, goes back to like whatever the hell was going on at the ending, where like she's with Matt. And you're like, oh, it was a dream. And then he's the driller killer. And you're like, oh, my God. And then she's in the mental hospital. It's like, okay. Because it seems like there could have been, you know, it's like hard to tell what actually was real in the movie. Like, was any of it real? And it's almost so nonsensical that you think that, like, none of it can be real. She obviously was just, like, manifesting her trauma and, like, reliving this night in, like, some different way. Um, But... 
it also like doesn't necessarily posit that. I don't know. I think there's like, you're just kind of left with a lot of questions and unknowns by the end. And you had a lot of questions anyway. Maybe that's why it's so similar. Like if you wanted to like get big brain on it, maybe that's why it's so similar to the first one because she is reliving everything and making it more with her friends and what she would have done than what her sister did. Who knows? (laughs) Alana. Playlist approved or not? Slumber Party Massacre 2. I'm gonna unfortunately go with no because it was just so confusing the entire time (laughs) for me. (laughs) That I... I don't know. It was a lot. It was a lot happening. What about you, Rachel? Okay. Uh, um, I'm, like, hesitant on it. I don't know if I'll watch it again. That's the thing. Like, I feel like it's, like, a, you experienced it. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'll watch it again. So, playlist possibly approved. How about that? Is that... I'll have to watch it again. That's, that's, that's the... Uh, the moral of that. I have to watch it again to get a firm yes or no on if I enjoyed it. <laughs> Andres, what about you? I would absolutely watch it again, but I think it's also something I would watch um, with friends, not just by myself. Mm. And then also probably not sober, because I feel like that would make it more sense, less sense, both. Probably both. But it's there's a lot of fun and it's so out there and weird that I can see why people are obsessed with it. And I kind of am crazy about the idea of a musical slasher. That sounds amazing, but also it's, it, it's, it's so out there that I'm, it's, it's hard for me to be like, Oh yeah, I'll watch it all the time. Sort of thing. I'll add an asterisk to my, oh, I was just going to say, I'll add an asterisk to my, if I'm drinking, I think it'd be very fun to rewatch it. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I will say like, so I had watched, I I know I've compared it a couple of times, but I had watched um, Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time like a month ago. And I honestly didn't enjoy it. And obviously a lot of people fucking love that series. And so this reminds me a lot of it. And so now I'm just like, I'm missing something. There's something that I don't understand because a lot of people like Slumber Party Massacre, right? Maybe not Massacre 2. I don't know. But I mean, they they like it enough for sci-fi to make a remake of it. I think this, people like the second one more just because of how out there it is. And also as someone who likes most of, or a good chunk of like the Nightmare on Elm Street films, the first one's not that good. It's really dated and not that fun. Like, it's some of the later films that sort of really makes Kruger more enjoyable, who also is the name of the uh, officer in this film. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) The other one is Voorhees. So it's... I didn't notice that. And and I think that, like, my personal favorite out of the Nightmare on Elm Street films is New Nightmare. And... But that's also like this weird meta commentary on uh, horror and films, which is unsurprising considering Wes Craven goes and does Scream two years later. But um, I do, I can see the similarities, but I, I don't think you're in the wrong for not loving it. 
cool. Thank you. Thank you for making me feel better. For now. For now. Yeah. <laughs> our last movie of our horror recommendations and whatnot is Jennifer's Body. And no one necessarily recommended this. I think it was kind of a group decision to talk about it. But I, in particular, really wanted to talk about it because I had only watched it once before. Um, and I had just watched it like a couple of months ago before we started planning these episodes with y'all. And I wasn't like floored by it. Like, I didn't think it was an amazing movie. And obviously, a lot of people fucking love this movie. So it's like, I have to rewatch it. But I was talking to Alana and Alana hadn't watched it yet. And Alana was the one who told me that the person who made Juno also made this movie. And I'm like, everything makes so much more sense now. And after talking to Alana about that and just like more and more of the like the film things I follow online, I saw a lot more like uh, interviews and stuff with the cast and just a lot of interesting stuff that made me want to talk about Jennifer's body, watch it again, get Elena to watch it, get her opinion on it. And I figured this would be the perfect time to do it. So there you go. Jennifer's body. Y'all ready to dive into the plot? Let's go. Let's do it. Okay. Anita Needy Lesnicki, once an insecure and studious teenager living near Devil's Kettle, Minnesota, is now a violent mental inmate who narrates the story as a flashback while in solitary confinement. Since childhood, she had been friends with Jennifer Check, a popular cheerleader despite having little in common. One night, Jennifer takes Needy to a local dive bar to attend a concert by indie rock band Low Shoulder. A spontaneous fire engulfs the bar, killing several people. In supposed shock, Jennifer agrees to leave with the band despite Needy's protests. Later that evening, Jennifer, covered in blood, appears in Needy's kitchen and attempts to eat a rotisserie chicken from the refrigerator. She immediately vomits a trail of black, spiny fluid. Jennifer advances on Needy and almost bites her neck, but backs away and leaves. It is later revealed that Jennifer killed a student named Ahmet that night. The next morning at school, Jennifer appears fine and dismisses Needy's concerns, appearing apathetic to the entire event. While the town is devastated by the deaths caused by the fire, Jennifer seduces the school's football captain in the woods and disembowels him. Meanwhile, Low Shoulder gains popularity due to their falsely rumored heroism during the during the fire and offer to make a charity appearance at the school spring formal. Notes, anyone? My first note is Adam Brody. <laughs> also, he looks like um, Brendan Yuri from Panic at the Disco in this entire movie. And so that's all I could imagine was this is actually Brendan Yuri. <laughs> that's a safe bet. This is really the true story of how Panic at the Disco became Panic at the Disco. They sacrificed Megan Fox. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. No, don't like that. It is funny because they are on the soundtrack. Yeah, I remember I heard about this movie because when it came out, I was obsessed with Panic at the Disco. And so I heard their song, but then I watched like the, tra- I was also like fairly young, but I like watched the trailers and stuff. And I was like, I don't think I would like this, but I think as is well known now, this movie was, um, 
hurt by an abysmal marketing campaign. Because <laughs> yeah. it was marketed to the wrong audience. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that that was one of the main things. I was watching an interview with Megan Fox talking about how, I think it was her and Diablo Cody were in the interview together. And she's talking about how, like, after they did, I mean, spoiler, moving to the end of the fucking movie. But after um, her and Amanda did the kissing scene, how they would use that in the trailer and, like, not talk about, like, any of the rest of the movie just to get, like, horny teenager boys to be like, hey, look, two girls kissing each other. Uh, and, like, that was that was what the marketing people did as soon as, like, they could. It's awful. Um, but Adam Brody, yes. I love seeing him play an asshole. Because, like, I grew up with him being on the fucking OC. And then after the OC, obviously, I saw him in Gilmore Girls when I watched it, like, later on in my life. So, like, I only know him to be kind of the nerdy guy next door, not the asshole that he plays in this movie and improvising young woman and stuff like that. So it's very uh, fun to see him play an asshole. Basically. I don't know. I agree. It was delightful. Loved Adam Brody in it. Um, to talk more about the soundtrack a bit, the there's a bunch of posters on the wall that include Fall Out Boy and Escape the Fate and Gallows. And I was just very happy because I was like, this is exactly everything I was listening to at this exact same time. And I forgot to mention it for Freaky, but Millie has a Panic at the Disco poster. And as soon as I saw it right at the beginning, I was I remember being like, oh, this tells me everything I need to know about what I'm going to have in this film. Um, you also brought up Diablo Cody and her script in this is just incredible. Like if people appreciate and love um, Juno for its quirkiness and great dialogue, this is just a whole nother level. Every few sentences. I mean, the opening line is hell is a teenage girl and it just gets better and better from then on. I really liked the, uh, you're so jello, you're like lime green jello. God. I loved that so much. <laughs> I was like, ah, yes, they're okay. I see. Because again, after uh, Alana told me that Diablo Cody, because I legitimately did not realize that Diablo, who Diablo Cody was, did not realize that she did Juno, did not realize that she did this. Um, so watching it the second time, picking up on those type of dialogue cues and like, it all makes so much more sense. So anyways, I really appreciated those type of quips in the dialogue. I So this is my second time watching it too. And I think what I liked most about this time watching it is that it really seemed like a story about um, two girls who are in love with each other and don't know what to do about that dressed up as a horror film. And because at its core, it's like kind of, you know, it's like, romantic and there's a lot of sexual tension that you know they don't know what to do with and it almost seems like it's going to end up with them together and it's just kind of like "Mm, let's like sprinkle in some uh demon girls who eat people and you know like the narrator will be in a mental institution and so I really like that aspect of it 
I think that it can be a horror movie, but it's also so much more than just a horror film. Um, and that the core of it really is just Jennifer and Needy's relationship to each other. I agree. Like, you know, fast forwarding to the end of it, like, all of their scenes together, like, they're at the core of everything and stuff. And, like, um, what what's Needy's boyfriend's name? I can't Chip. Remember. Young Neil. Yeah. I mean, Chip. Chip always just felt like this one awkward, like, third wheel to their, like, <laughs> duo and stuff. Stop stealing my girlfriend. Nope. <laughs> I mean, this might be getting ahead, but you even see that in the men that Jennifer starts to pick. So I feel like her first two kills were kills of opportunity. Right? So you have... Ahmed, I was, one of them was the guy that was like on the road and the other one is the guy she kills in the woods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think near the end, you know, she goes for Colin who Needy is friends with. And even Chip is kind of jealous of Needy's relationship with Colin. And then you have her um, at the end, go after Chip who is Needy's boyfriend. So there's obviously some jealousy there and it seems like it's much more than just like, your boyfriend is taking up too much of our best friend time. Like, you know, it runs much deeper than that. And that these boys are just stand-ins for needy. Yeah, I agree. No, I completely agree with everything you said. Like, I had a note about Colin specifically. Like, her going after Colin to do that was calculated. And, you know, it was, you know, really hurtful to needy to do that because needy you know had that close relationship with him it was like he's cool and stuff but it's again it's that level of jealousy of like Mm -hmm. it's not a oh i'm gonna date him so that you can't date him and now you have to like see him like hang all over me or whatever stupid like high school thing no i'm gonna fucking kill him so that he will not be part of your life anymore and now you can focus back on me again yeah, she takes she takes it that extra step. <laughs> yeah, really, just really drives it home that I'm your one and only. <laughs> yeah, don't fucking forget it. Okay. A month later, Jennifer appears sick and listless. She accepts a date with school alternative slash emo Colin, whom she brutally kills. While Needy and her boyfriend Chip have sex, Needy senses something dreadful has happened. She leaves in a panic and almost runs over Jennifer, who is drenched in blood. At home, she again encounters Jennifer, and the two kiss. When Needy breaks the kiss and asks Jennifer what the fuck is going on, she explains that Low Shoulder had taken her into the woods after the bar fire and offered her as a virgin sacrifice to Satan in exchange for fame and fortune. Although the sacrifice and demonic exchange were a success, Jennifer was not actually a virgin, so she became permanently possessed. Leaving the woods, Jennifer had encountered an exchange student leaving the scene of the fire and made him her first victim. Jennifer said she intended to eat Needy as well, but left because she could not bring herself to hurt Needy because of their friendship. Jennifer states that when she has eaten, she can withstand virtually any injury without pain, healing instantly. The following day, Needy goes to the school library's occult section. She determines that Jennifer is a succubus who must feed on flesh and can only be killed while she is hungry and weak. 
tells Chip about her discoveries about Jennifer and warns him not to attend the school dance. He does not believe her, so she breaks up with him in order to protect him. LOL. Chip decides to attend the dance anyway, but is intercepted by Jennifer, who takes him to an abandoned pool house and begins feeding on him. Needy arrives there and fights Jennifer. Chip impales Jennifer through the stomach with a pool skimmer, but Jennifer removes it and escapes while Chip dies. Needy goes to Jennifer's home and breaks into her room. She fights Jennifer, and Jennifer bites her neck in the struggle. Needy rips Jennifer's half, of, Jennifer's half of their best friend necklace off of her neck. Jennifer stops fighting back and falls to the bed, where Needy stabs her in the heart with a utility knife, killing her and destroying the demon. Jennifer's mother enters and finds Needy on top of her daughter's body. Soon after, Needy is brought to an asylum. In her asylum room, she manifests some of Jennifer's supernatural powers, such as super strength and the ability to levitate, due to non-fatal bite from Jennifer during the fight between them. She escapes the mental facility, hitchhikes a road to the hotel where Low Shoulder are staying, and murders them. The end. I was going to say uh, Chip and Needy sex scene was the most awkward thing of my life to watch. I was like, this is so uncomfortable. Can this it, just end? And isn't it intercut with Jennifer killing Colin? Mm-hmm. It is. And so it's like, Jennifer and Needy are also kind of having sex during that scene. It's more like, like it's more like I don't because that's when Needy loses her virginity, right? Or was she already yeah. having sex with him? I don't think they say. No, I um, I think I think it's when she's losing her virginity. Um, so it's almost like the betrayal of sleeping with call or sleeping with Chip to Jennifer. And the betrayal of killing Colin to Needy, like, connects their subconsciousness almost well, they were in a weird way. connected before, because even at the beginning, like, she had that sixth sense of her arriving, right? Well, I guess it's more, more of a, like, vivid connection with seeing it, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, weird shit, dude. You had notes about them killing her in the forest, Atlanta. I was just going to say, that scene, like, they have her, like, you know, laying in, you know, their little, like, demon circle thing, and, like, they're singing, like, while they're, like, about to stab her. I was like, what are these psychos and stuff? And the one guy's like, you know, maybe we shouldn't kill her. And then he's like, do you want to work at wherever, you know, the equivalent of like a Starbucks forever and stuff? And he's like, no, let's stab her. Let's stab her. I was like, minimum wage versus killing a human. <laughs> like, I was like, okay. That was definitely. A little nuts though. Yeah. But anyways, that scene, but it had me laughing that they were like singing and Adam Brody's like, it's fine. We're just going to kill you. It's cool. And stuff. Like. It is kind of a background thing the whole time, but they're, like, increasing fame. And it never, like, they're increasing fame in that whole, the song, the Through the Trees or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It just, like, grates on you after a while. And it's so funny because the only people who realize that this is, like, a thing that's happening is Needy and Jennifer. Like, everyone else is, like, fully bought into the uh, low shoulder zeitgeist. Um, it's, it's such a generic song like the first is. time you hear it you're like okay it's fine it's fun like maybe i can listen to it every once in a while but then as it just keeps going you're like why this one why is this the song that potentially in my notes 
sorry, say go ahead. I was just gonna say it's funny too because not only it's like so generic, it's so generic that it could be any band song. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't matter. It could be Panic at the Disco. It like could be Fallout Boy or All Time. Like any of those bands that were really popular, any of them could have had Through the Trees. That's a song. In my In notes, I I literally wrote like. I would have eaten this shit up like, when I was in high school. <laughs> now, when Needy gets into that fight with that girl in her class about them and stuff, about, uh, like, the girl was, like, ready to, like, beat down Needy. Like, how dare you talk about them? They are saints and gods to the school and the town, even though they caused the fire, essentially. <laughs> Um, when Colin asks out, uh, Jennifer, and then she basically says no, and then Jennifer is, like, actually calling, like, basically seeing that she wants to kill Colin because of Needy's relationship with him, uh, she, like, tells, she invites Colin, but she invites him over to watch Aquamarine, and the line she says is, Aquamarine is about, is a movie about a girl who's half sushi. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i loved that throwaway about aquamarine because it's like it also is so funny because it doesn't seem like a movie that jennifer would watch because it is so juvenile and so to even think that that was like maybe a sincere like obviously it was not a sincere suggestion because she killed him but like <laughs> you know like she's like trying to play a front or something yeah hilarious. yeah that also uh yeah Another line that I wrote down was at the end when uh, Chip is like, she can fly. And Needy's like, she's just hovering. It's not that impressive. I feel like you stole most of my notes. This is not fair. (laughs) Sorry. I'm giving you the opportunity to talk before me. You're just not. (laughs) Well, I can't just say every single, like quote from the film because then we'll just be here forever well i was going down a, a, the, 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 the path of quotes that i thought are funny um i was gonna say like at the end when like chip is dying and he's like i should have believed you it's like obviously sherlock you should have believed her you could have avoided all of this <laughs> like also, what kind of shitty boyfriend are you that you're making out with Jennifer? Even if you're, like, broken up, whatever, like, it's been a fucking day, bro. Like. <laughs> yeah, with her best friend. Like, yeah, that you've hated this whole time. Yeah, that made me angry, too. I'm like, no, and no world would you actually do this. I mean. Like, she's beautiful, but, you know, still not okay. No, no. Anyway, what were you saying, Sid? Um, this is not about a line in the movie, but it was just funny anyway. Uh, Needy's dress and styling to go to the dance. It is just like so out of the time period that they are in. Honestly. And so ridiculous. And she shows up to this thing and she just like is a fish out of water. And it's just so funny. I don't know. Like the whole time. And then she's like in this giant pink fluffy dress in the water like thrashing around with jennifer i appreciated that and i'm not really sure like what the reasoning necessarily was but it was funny so yeah i don't know if maybe it was like her mom's homecoming dress or something and that's what she wore or 
But I think it kind of goes along with Nudie's style because the entire time she's, you know, a bit frumpy and, like, her hair's, you know, never really suiting her face and that type of thing. And, like, I think it kind of goes with that that she would choose something like that. You know, I think it's just, like, a juxtaposition to what Jennifer wears and stuff and, like, how her hair is and that type of thing. It kind of shows their polar opposites. Like, all her, like, clothing options that she went through for the bar at the very beginning none of them were like cute in any way like obviously she said she didn't she shouldn't be too cute but still i absolutely love the like in credit scenes where it's like um her murdering them i thought that was the best way that they could have done it i loved that situation (laughs) oh yeah i agree and it was nice because it wasn't like literally showing it it was like what the forensic files afterward alana since this was your first time watching it like what what were you expecting what did you come out with having so i knew it had become like you know obviously as we mentioned when it came out it was um not received well you know due to who was critiquing it and who it was, you know, uh, marketed towards. So, you know, I never saw it because one, I don't like horror, but so I just assumed it wasn't good from what, you know, everything else. But then I know it had become like a cult classic. So I was intrigued to watch it and I loved Juno. So I was very excited to, um, that was by Diablo Cody. Um, so I was, you know, I came in like expecting to like it okay and stuff, but yeah, of the three, this was probably my favorite. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, there were some bits that I did have to turn away for, but that's just me. Um, but all in all, I really liked it. I wouldn't say I'm like of like, um, like cult obsessed with it, that level or anything. I enjoyed it, but I wouldn't go that far for it. I definitely, like, on the second watch, mm-hmm. had more of an appreciation for it. Like, I was enjoying it more, I think, the second time through. Um, but I was in the exact same spot as you after my first time watching it. Like, oh, okay, this was this was fine. Like, I don't have any issues with it. It just wasn't, like, mind-blowing. So I think, like, the expectations going into it, knowing how much people fucking love the movie from the cult classic fame, if you will um kind of threw off my personal opinion for it I think but watching it again without having that like weight for lack of a better word on my shoulders you know what I mean like I enjoyed it more I guess so I'm interested to know what you would feel after a rewatch I do think it has um like a good rewatch vibe to it like I definitely think it's something you can watch over and over again and stuff that Um, it wouldn't be less enjoyable the more you watch it. Sydney, what what are your thoughts? You said this is the second time you watched it too, right? Mm -hmm. And I think in the same way, I was actually recommended to watch this by one of my closest friends. And I had not watched it because I was like, I don't want to, it looks dumb or whatever. And so then I finally watched it last summer and I don't remember why. And I would think it was the same way where I liked it, but I didn't think it was like, at all one of the best things I've ever seen but the second time watching it I liked it a lot better um and I'm not sure if I just needed it to like sit with me for a little bit or 
I don't know. But I also think it's hard to really pick up on everything the first time. Um, and that there are a lot of nuances in the script and in the acting that maybe don't aren't as clear. Um, and so I think I'd definitely watch it again, though. Um, just because I did really like it. And I think there's a lot here. It's just enjoyable. It's funny. And the music, the soundtrack is like really, really good. Um, I don't, I don't have anything else to say. That's it. (laughs) Andres, you've seen it multiple times before this, right? Yeah. Close to 10 or so. Fucking shit. Yeah. Um, so I love it, uh, clearly. And I think it's definitely a movie that I also love more with every watch. So all of you saying that on repeat viewings, you'll probably appreciate it more. makes a lot of sense. Um, I think there's just a lot to look into and sort of analyze while at the same time, it just is a bloody fun time as well. The dialogue keeps you on your toes and laughing. And then there are moments of like genuine scare. Like the first time Jennifer shows up uh, to Needy's house, is like kind of actually terrifying even though the film never really gets back to that point, but it never really needs to. And it's just a great time. And like to talk about the issues about marketing it the way they had, there's a, there's a film critic uh, on Twitter who is obsessed with the film and she talks about it any single time she can. And I like she did a podcast for it and watching it or listening to it was um, incredible. And listen, any, anytime she's like talked about it, I've tried to check it out because she's like the definitive voice essentially now for the film. Um, but the way they talk about it is so layered and nuanced and it gives you all a different appreciation and like to even talk about the relationship between the two of them. Um, throughout the film i think it's uh, it's remarkable to see and it and it sucks that it sort of was buried at the time who uh is the reviewer that you're talking about uh jordan cruciola i think even in the past like i don't know in my opinion like the past four months it's it had even a bigger resurgence for some reason and I'm not sure necessarily what that has to do with. I mean, I know it's on Criterion, but I don't think you think that might be why. No. no. Um, but like, you know, it's getting a lot of praise and recognition that it didn't for the past. I don't know what. How long has it been out? 11 years? What were you going to say, Rachel? I think like it's twofold. I think legitimately people. It, this is something that Alana and I talked a little bit about uh, on one of our older episodes was like there's like a Megan Fox resurgence right now. And it's more like retrospectively looking at her career and how poorly she was treated. And so now the generation who kind of grew up knowing her as like a social pariah almost are like understanding that that's not the case and like looking back at stuff. And so I think that has something to do with it. I think her relationship with Machine Gun Kelly has something to do with being more in, uh, the social spotlight and so people are more interested in her previous stuff and i also think and i mean this might just be my own uh uh perspective kind of having a bias i don't know but like i really think more and more people are starting to watch horror movies 
that hadn't in the past. I mean, and obviously I'm one of them, but I think a lot of people are starting to be like, oh, there's this whole new genre or this whole new to me genre that I've never touched before. Oh, this is something that a lot of people have talked about. I remember when I was a kid and this coming out, I like who Megan Fox is now. Let's watch it. So that might be kind of why like all of those things are happening at once and why it's becoming more of a watched movie. I think it's also just part of the fact that it's been about a bit over 10 years. It just, a lot of people were revisiting it. And I do know in 2019, Jordan Kushiola took uh, Megan Fox, Karen Kusama, who directed it, and Iowa Cody, and they had a, like, a retrospective screening, and they had a, a interview, a Q&A afterwards, and they talked about it in, in depth for, like, an hour or so after the film was done. And they did talk about a lot of the things and the, the behind the scenes of whether it was like Megan Fox's uh, photo shoot in the pool and people were like posting it as, as if she was like, it was news online uh, at the time, but there was a lot more to it. And it is part of the 10 year anniversary and ongoing. And then besides that, um, unfortunately kind of like film and horror Twitter, just sort of having the resurgence of kind of going this movie is great and you need to watch it and slowly spiral out from there. Why is that unfortunate? Because film Twitter can suck sometimes. We all know that. True. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Well, Lana, you said Jennifer's body was your favorite of the three. Mm-hmm. It was. Sydney. Well, okay. Except for the one that you brought. What of, of the two you did not bring? What was your favorite? Mm, that's hard because I've seen Jennifer's Body before, so I already knew I liked it. But I think that one, um, I liked it a lot more on the second watch. I do like Freaky, but I think there's something for me special about Jennifer's Body. Andres? Also Jennifer's Body. Same. I, I, I really enjoyed Freaky. I really liked watching Slumber Party Massacre, too. I think that was a... Uh, a, a ride a wild ride yes a trip also that is what yes. she said was wild ride as she introduced it so i mean like when she said it it was the perfect description of the film <laughs> yeah you it's not a film it's an experience <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, not the de- or was it it's the journey not the destination <laughs> <laughs> um Thank you for joining us on this in the last episode and making Alana watch things she would never, ever watch in a million years and making me watch things I wouldn't think to watch in a million years. Um, yeah, it was fun. Alana, are you ever going to want to watch horror movies ever again? Or are you horror movied out for the rest of your life? Check back in next October. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, it's just Hotel Transylvania on repeat. Well, happy Halloween, listeners. It's almost Halloween, so might as well say happy Halloween, Sydney and Andres, and Alana, too. Thanks for joining us, y'all. Thanks for watching these movies, Alana. And until next time. Oh, Alana, no, you have to tell them where to find us. Tell the people where to find us. Plug us, Alana. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at FriendlyRex and on Twitter at FriendlyRexPod. Pod.